The Brutally Speaking podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. For over 30 years, Rockabilia has been the go-to destination for all things band merch. With over 500,000 items in their online store and collaborations with today's hottest bands, you're sure to find something you love. Use our code BREW10 at checkout and take 10% off your total order. So go pick up your favorite new piece of merch now over at rockabilia.com. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is the returning Mike D from Death Revision, Overcast, Kill Switch Engage, Dark Icon Design, just a slew of things that Mike has been making his name known for uh, over the last 30 years uh, in various facets of the music industry. And this was this was one that really... I wanted to have happen again. Um, as you'll hear pretty quickly in the chat as we start talking wrestling stuff, because uh, it's a, a, sh- a shared interest of Mike and I's, and a lot of times what leads to us when we're DMing, just talking about wrestling and some other shit. But it was a thing where when he was on previously, you know, he was essentially the byproduct of a very viral moment of talking about his working relationship, or I should say the bands, uh, in working with WWE on creating a song. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, literally type in Mike D kill switch wrestling something. Uh, and I'm sure it'll pop up. Uh, it'll pop up probably very quickly and from a shitload of news sources. Uh, cause as I found out, uh, not only is the music industry very wide reaching as far as its news, uh, and who reads it, but so are wrestling fans, um, which I didn't know at the time. And I'm very aware of now, um, but it is a thing where it costs Killswitch and Mike that song, that opportunity. And I felt really bad, uh, about it. I still feel bad about it. Um, but something I've been doing and, you know, it's interesting right after this chat, like a day later, I ended up having Tuck from Fit for a King on to talk about his new, uh, off-road minivan record. And something we were talking about in that conversation was, you know, needing to, make amends, either, you know, telling people that you're sorry for something that you did that may have caused them harm, uh, admitting your faults, or even at the very least, like understanding that people can be toxic and you just need to remove them from your life. And something that was really hard for me, and it's something I've been trying to be better at, is being more mindful of the time I have. Um, I have, you know, obviously talked about losing friends and family and what it's done and understanding that your time here isn't guaranteed and needing to 
have a more awareness of those kind of things and what you're putting out into the world. And something in that that was really tough was knowing that something, someone being nice and giving me their time on this show ended up causing backlash, causing problems. And that's not something I want. Um, wasn't my intention. And it's a thing where I could have apologized to Mike, and I believe I actually have. I believe I DM'd him or said something or even, you know, had maybe Josh say something to him because uh, I just felt like I was probably the last person that dude wanted to talk to or hear from. And it was a thing where I wanted to apologize to Mike face-to-face, and, and I did. And we discuss, uh, actually, the, the, the fallout, basically, of that. And uh, if you're watching the YouTube version or if you're listening to this and want to see it, it's it's something that I can literally see on Mike's face. And even as I'm thinking about it, I could still see that it, it bummed him out because he, very much like me, wants to just be nice and have people be stoked uh, and be positive on the things that they're doing. And as I get older, I really think about intention and I really think about making amends to those. And, and something even like I was thinking the other day, even before this chat with Mike, was about you know the opportunity that I've had several times to, to kind of mend fences with people. And ultimately, you just kind of realize that it's not fucking worth holding on to. And the other big part is, is understanding that things you say or things you do can impact others. And I think that's a lesson that I've been really learning uh, over time. And it's something that I'm, I'm glad that we were able to have this moment where we were able to kind of talk about the thing that happened that I think caused a little bit of a, a rift and what little bit of a, a friendship I guess we have or a, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, but ultimately, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to talk about the, the human side of it, um, how we, lo- we both learned from it and how it has changed how we move forward in our relationships with people and, and how we communicate and thinking about uh, the weight that our words have and the intentions behind them. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't want to bum anyone out with any of the shit I'm doing or saying. I, I honestly love talking to people and I love learning about things. And it is a thing where I just really want to thank Mike for actually coming back on the show um, and spending two hours talking with me. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Mike. And I'll talk to you all on the other side of it. <laughs> Yeah, finally got around to watching because I saw the match and I was like, it's weird that there wasn't a promo or anything to lead up to that. And then I found the promo as it appeared online because that, that seems to be the world that wrestling is in where we're just inundated with like the things on TV and you don't have to watch it because then they just break it all down into the little pieces sure. you kind of want to watch or breeze through the show as, as quickly as you want to. But 
uh, gotta say, uh, it was interesting to hear him kind of gaff uh, in the middle of the uh, the promo where he was like stuttering over a word he wanted to say and then he got it back. Yeah, I just wonder if he was going to go in a direction that he wrangled himself out of because you know you know him being talking a little too much sometimes about some things. There was definitely two young buck stabs that I heard while he was talking, and uh, I think that could have been not mentioned but you know that's the way he is and i think he wants to be controversial in that way um but i don't it's interesting because i i felt like the big one that i latched onto outside of the uh outside of the uh the the bucks reference was the bruce campbell reference army or uh i wasn't say army of darkness but i guess it's also uh uh evil dead king is back baby oh king is back baby and I was, and then he like popped himself when he said it, which made me laugh because I was like, you don't see him usually like kind of break like that. So it was sure, kind of funny sure. to see him break. How have yeah, you been enjoying I, wrestling as a whole? I, I have been enjoying wrestling, not not necessarily WWE, um, but it's getting a lot better. I liked when Triple H took it back over when um, Vince was gone for a little bit. It was it seemed like it was getting exciting again and. Um, I was just really bored by the product, not necessarily by the wrestlers, but just this, everything. <laughs> uh, so I was uh, completely immersed in AEW for the longest time, and I still am a huge fan of that product. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Lucha Underground, which I was a huge fan of that product as well. A lot of people didn't see that thing, but a lot of the AEW stars are uh, from that um, production. Uh, so it's good to see those see these people that I th- thought were great back in the day actually make it to a, a status that they deserve. Uh, so it's it's pretty rad. But I still love Lucha Underground. I I watch it on tour all the time, <laughs> like constantly. I'm like, oh, I'm watching season three again. I guess um, it's, so much, it's so much fun. Do you ever watch that or no? Yeah, I, I mean, like the big one that I remember, and and I'm gonna completely blank because there's just so much shit that I've watched. Uh, is like. I don't have the network anymore, but now the WWE network, but with, again, with YouTube being a thing, you can always find old matches. So a friend of mine and I started talking about uh, ECW matches. Cause like his kids getting into like GCW and stuff like that. Hmm. And so it's been this thing where we were talking about ECW matches. So I've been going back and watching stuff like that online or like uh, also about an hour ago, I was watching uh, Andy uh, from Eats it or the butcher uh, was on the not fest thing. And they were talking about like 1995 uh, bash. I think it was Halloween havoc uh, pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I've been kind of in like WCW ECW kind of mode, like early, like early to mid nineties uh, hmm. as my go-to recently of just kind of like comfort food wrestling. Um, yeah. And I was watching it. I think it was Sandman and Raven uh, ECW and I was like telling my friend, I was like, dude, it's so wild to like watch how there's I mean, just beyond like a lot of what's happening, like what they're saying, what they're doing, like there's just so much weird little shit that like you just couldn't do today. Like I was like Raven and, and Sandman Ravens like got almost a full crimson mask. They're in the fucking crowd. And at one point, like Raven just whips his hair back and blood just whips onto this dude's face, like right behind him. I was like, no fucking way would that be able to happen today. Like wouldn't be able to happen. Terrifying. I, I would not want that to happen to me, but it's fun to watch on TV. <laughs> I yeah, was a I huge know. ECW I mean, fan growing up. I loved it. That was what got me into wrestling. The more realistic 
style wrestling, uh, lots of swerves and, and really great matches. Uh, one of my favorite matches from ECW would have been Rob Van Dam versus Jerry Lynn. Mm. I, I watched that so many times, but I've gone back to it recently, and it is particularly so brutal <laughs> that it's hard to watch for me now. But that used to be my favorite match. I think for a little bit, the and I don't know how it came up on it. It might have been Twitter or something, but it was uh, God, I'm totally blanking on the the dude's name. It was a New Japan match, but it was uh, Asuka against like a God. Who was the dude? It was like one of his like last matches or so. But he just like talk about strong style. It he was just slapping her super hard in the face. Everything was super stiff. And you're just like, this is essentially you just beating on Oscar, <laughs> like for real, like shoot style. It felt like, but it, I don't know. It just was like so hard to watch. Cause I was like, I don't feel like there's anything entertainment value in this. And it's just mm-hmm. almost like is what I imagine is like a snuff film where you're just like, all right, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable <laughs> with this. Sometimes you can teeter into that, that scenario. And uh, yeah, it's weird. It's weird when that happens. Cause you're, you're just having so much fun and then you're just like, Whoa, this just took a turn for the worse. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess to kind of talk about the thing, uh, since that's actually why you're here to talk, not about wrestling. Um, you know, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like that's been the interesting thing with, with death ray vision as a whole is I feel like it, it comes out when collectively all of you have something that you really want to say. And I feel like based on the singles so far, you know, it's coming from a very, uh, and I, I think maybe the video kind of has a little bit to do with this, but I mean, even lyrically, uh, a very kind of political stance, which is interesting because I don't feel like I associate you with that, uh, being involved in things like that. And I know you're not the mouthpiece of the band. You're not the one necessarily writing the lyrics, but right. it's still kind of an interesting perspective to see when a when a person from a known band goes and does something else like what is it that they're bringing to the table that's not that they can't release uh in in their main project and i think between obviously like overcast and and even death revision and so forth it's it's always been kind of interesting to see where you kind of follow and fall into and i feel like this is a lot more kind of punk and metallic leaning like straight ahead like like kind of motorhead punk metallic kind of leaning than i'm even used to hearing from you so it feels kind of fun and refreshing and almost youthful. Like there's kind of a youthful aggression to it. Oh, nice. I mean, that might be because we tune the E drop D. So it's got that sort of eighties vibe to it. Um, but yeah, I'm not a political guy at all. And uh, I didn't, I didn't write any of those lyrics. Um, but the guy who did is very political Keith. And, uh, and he means everything he says, which is awesome. It feels legitimate and it feels cool to just be a part of something where I don't have to agree with everything, but the the way this ship is steering, it just works so well. And it, it brings more of that old school dead Kennedy's kind of punk vibe from back in the eighties, the Reagan era stuff. And um, hmm. there's nothing wrong with that at all. I, that's that part really stokes me out. I just wasn't sure climate wise, how some of these videos were going to go over. Um, but they've been going pretty well. So what can you do? I, mean, I just, you just got to keep that idea that it's, it's more of this eighties punk vibe going on. Not like, not like how crazy people get today. <laughs> well, what's kind of interesting about it was I just, 
I saw someone was comment. Oh, uh, my friends in a virtue. They put out a or no, I'm sorry. Was it a virtue or was it assume nothing? Um, a band from here, either regardless. Uh, and they did a song with Chad from for the fallen dreams. And the video had like stock footage taken from like riots and, you know, all these other things. And it got flagged on YouTube for like hate speech or whatever. Ours and so when too, I was yeah. like, what did it? Okay. I was, I was actually yeah. going to say, I was like, there's a lot of similar type of footage in, in the video that I'm talking about to yours. And I, it made me wonder cause I pulled it up today on YouTube. Cause I was like, I wonder if it's still there and it's still there and I was able to watch it. So I was like, I guess you guys didn't get flagged, but it's interesting to see uh, well, essentially the, what does. The, or video, what the cool part is the video is, is up and you can watch it. Um, but I think when you, when you find portals and you, you see links for it, it gives you that uh, whatever diatribe Sign in. Uh, of text. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you saw. No, it's, it's just it just tells you this is whatever flag, flagged for something. Um, if watch it at your own risk, which is kind of cool too. Yeah, watch it at your own risk. Take your life in your own hands and watch a video. It's gonna be good for you. It's a strange thing, um, but yeah, that that happened, and that was sort of one of the nervous ticks that i had about doing a video like that i was like why bother to do a video if no one can see it but we uh there were some actually more brutal footage in that that we i was like uh, i don't know if that's gonna how that's gonna play out so let's just calm it down slightly so that's a slightly calmed down version <laughs> if you can believe that this might be a a weird question to ask, but it's, it's the first thing I kind of thought of when you, you said you even kind of toned down the video, but is it, is there a part of you literally and figuratively as an artist, like as an artist who performed this music that is inspiring and putting the images and so forth. And also as a, a graphic designer, is there a part of you that doesn't want to censor your art at all and tone it down for, so it can be consumed by others, but just to be more visceral. The punk rock in me, is totally into it. Uh, but the guy who wants to get along with everybody and just have music, play music that people enjoy and can go out and have a good time to is a little bit weary, weary of, of stuff like that. I just, uh, I've always just been, you know, I've never really been in a band that people enjoyed till kiss, switch, kill switch engage. We've always just been kind of writing for ourselves, but it's never been, never been pointy and, 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 and mean, I think. Uh, not that this one is either, but I just want wanted to make sure that we steer clear of anything that's going to really offend somebody to the point of, of freaking out on us. <laughs> I guess in this day and age, it's something you have to kind of, I guess, be aware of, especially. And I, again, sometimes like the things I, I immediately think of, I'm like, is this a, an okay thing to say? Because I think there's validity in, in the question I have, but I also don't want to make it awkward for the person I'm going to ask the question to. But, you know, immediately I just kind of came to the this thought of, is it a thing where you want to, you know, I was just saying, you know, like it's interesting to see like what other people do outside of the main thing. Like what is what is it that you're not able to showcase musically maybe that you are in this new project? So with Death Revision, which isn't a new project, but... My other thought is, is there ever, ever any trepidations at times where like when you're starting to like the lyrics kind of get put in, now you're starting to think visuals, like what are we doing? Is there a part that ends up becoming where it's like, oh, is this potentially going to like interfere or make people not like the my bread and butter, my main source of income? 
is even a, from a label perspective, would a label come in and be like, oh, we don't really know that we want to go in this direction because it could hinder something for this other bigger thing down the road. I would mm. assume probably not, but it is a thing now that we live in a world where we always have to be aware of what we say and what we do and what we're putting out there and the repercussions that could become of it that I could understand from the business side of things that maybe these are conversa hard conversations you have to have with yourself and with others that are a part of your team. I guess only if it's incredibly offensive um, and, and it makes sense. I've, I don't feel like I've been a part of a project that's ever gotten me into trouble like that. Um, it's, it's in the back of your mind for sure. Um, I've definitely said things in interviews that got me in trouble, but, uh, never, Sorry. never in a band, <laughs> never in a Sorry. band. <laughs> it's funny that since becoming friends with Amy over the years, and I have apologized to her countless times for the trouble I got you all into. Well, uh, the fortunate from, thing is it all works out and I learned my lesson. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Stuff happens. And I was, uh, I was a little more dramatic than I should have been, uh, maybe. Um, but at the same time, it, what I was saying was the truth. And we were talking about a Roderick Strong song that we at Killswitch was uh, in the middle of recording that the band wasn't super happy with. Uh, sorry, the band wasn't happy with it. It's the way people feel. Um, but the funny thing is, is since then, especially looking at like Taylor and Bo that do like the hard lore and all that. And Taylor's been working with AEW on songs. You know, there's been a few different people who have talked about exactly what you did and said the exact same thing. And I don't see any fucking backlash from what they're saying. Like no one's see, like everyone's just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's it's almost like now it's become this thing. You know, you you broke kayfabe and now everyone is able to break kayfabe with you. And they're just like, yeah, it's really a challenge. And I think it showcases why when a song hits and when these bands have cool songs or art or the wrestlers or whatever have cool stuff, it's because it it showcases the level of talent and professionalism that you all are able to bring to this thing that objectively was not good to begin with. Well, I don't know if it's super professional for me to go on <laughs> announce to the world that I, that the song that we got was not up to our standards um, because we were definitely going to do it <laughs> until, until WWE got wind and said, forget it. We don't want to deal with you guys anymore. Uh, it's definitely embarrassing and made me feel terrible. And like I said, I just want to please people. I've never really been in a band that, that people like until kill switch and now that i'm in a band that people like it's really it feels good <laughs> to write music that people can actually enjoy and uh to say something that kind of has off-putting effects bummed me out pretty bad but i said it i said it it was the truth um and everything worked out for the best because now roderick strong has the song the end of heartache and he's he's playing it on AEW. that was a deal it was so funny we made that deal and like literally the next day he was on TV, <laughs> didn't tell me or anything, just showed up. I was like, wow, I don't even think the ink was dry. On that contract. <laughs> but uh, hell yeah. He was like, I don't know when I'm going to be making into the ring. Maybe a couple of weeks. I, I'm, I can't I can't really say. And then the next day he was he was hitting the ring. It was really cool to see. And I'm, I'm excited that we made that deal work for him. And I'm, um, I'm stoked that I didn't embarrass him again. Well, like this is because I think this is 
I don't want to delve into the negative side of this, but I think there is a positive that comes out of this. So interestingly for me, you know, I, I felt really fucking terrible uh, when it blew. Cause like, not only did it go in the music space, but then the wrestling side of things just ran with it. And it became like in the truest of senses, like one of the first like real viral moments that I had ever experienced. And while it was cool to like, you know, be tagged and see people talking about the show. It really did make me realize that it's like at what cost though. And it created this thing. And I talk about this quite a bit where my, my dad had a conversation with me around that same time about like, what do I want to do with my platform? And I'm like, dude, I don't have a fucking platform. Like I just stare at my computer screen. I talk to strangers and then it gets uploaded and maybe people listen to it. And it was one of the first times where like, me just genuinely being a curious person and asking the question it had ramifications. And it really made me realize that like, I, I do have a platform and that I need to be more aware of like something someone says can get someone in trouble or can cost them something. And to be more cautious or me just kind of being more understanding of that or, and there have been times where job. I think if you, I get feel like, I feel like it is somebody, <clears throat> If you get an answer out of somebody that that is really good i mean and they don't tell you don't use it that's you have all the right to do that i just feel like i could have been a bit more tactful in how i presented uh, the information and uh there was probably gentler ways to say it uh but at the time people weren't happy and i was kind of the only one that wanted to keep going right. with the song so it was it was a lot of push and pull going on and uh, i think i was maybe feeling the stress a little bit from that but it's it's something where it really it's honestly made me realize that there are some things that like you should just have we need to be more tactful at times when communicating. Uh, and especially if we're talking about somebody else or their, their livelihood or whatever. And it was a big teaching moment for me. So it's like, I, and I felt so bad. I remember texting Josh and I was like, and I could have texted you, but I was just like, I don't think, I think I'm like the last person might probably wants to hear from or talk to at this point. Cause like, I just fucked up his like thing that he's so passionate about. And he was like, it'll be fine. And he goes, honestly, I, like I told him too, he was like, I was like, that might've been the most interesting and fun conversation I've heard him do. And I've known that dude for decades. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, but like, it still sucks. Cause like, I just, I feel bad. Like as a, as a person who wants people to be happy and get along and be stoked on everything, it really fucking bummed me out. And it's like, I don't know. It reminded me of that movie, uh, Wishmaster, where I was like, Oh, all I wanted was to have cool people on and like have people find the show and be int into it. And then it's like in Wishmaster, like, anything you wish for there's like a horrible repercussion of it like dude's like i want a million dollars well it came at the cost of his mom like dying in a plane crash and you're just like okay that sucks you got what you wanted but not the way you wanted it and so it's like to me like that was the first example of kind of really understanding that and just kind of being like sometimes like it's careful what you wish for because when you get it it may not be how you want it or, or why you wanted it and i was like so fucking bummed and like the like i said apologizing to Amy several times over when I started working with her and um, now have being able to be face to face with you and just kind of being like, you know, apologies. Cause like that sucks. And I, I feel, you know, 
equally as responsible. Um, but I think it's 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 something I've learned from uh, and I've taken and I feel like has made me a better person. And obviously you just kind of said it kind of came full circle in the grand scheme of things. Like you obviously still have the relationship with Roderick and were able to do something with him down the road. So it all ended up working out. But, you know, I, I feel bad because in the one hand, you know, it was another opportunity for you to do something cool with for one of your childhood passions of wrestling and, you know, combining something that you've been working your ass off for for all these years and making music. Well, I don't blame you. So don't feel so bad. I blame myself. It was me who said it. It was me who kept going with <laughs> talking about how I didn't like the song or people didn't like the song. So <laughs> it's all, it's all on me. And uh, I definitely had a couple months of sleepless nights <laughs> and definitely that pit in the bottom of my stomach that, that uh, like, I didn't even think about it. And I had gotten a call from management just saying, uh, I don't think WWE's super happy with you. I'm like, uh oh, what happened? What did I do this time? And then it all came rushing back. And uh, I've definitely learned a lot. I've grown a lot, uh, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see now that I'm doing a bunch of interviews again. Uh, I just want I just want to spread positivity at this point and uh, make sure everyone is having a good time because uh, it doesn't this life don't last too long and you gotta, gotta give it all you can and, and just keep your head clear. And, 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 uh, and when something bad happens, take that, use it as, use it as a learning tool and move on. And I'm moving on. So something maybe more positive, uh, definitely more positive to talk about, but that I think is Something I love talking about uh, is, is relationships. Um, you know, I saw that you recently got engaged, so congratulations. Thank you. Yes, good girl. How, you know, something that I, I always find interesting when I talk to people in relationships, especially people who are, you know, in this capacity where you're busy touring, you're writing, you're, you know, obviously we talked about your graphic design work and so forth. You know, you're you're always busy. And so something I always like to to discuss is, how do you how do you navigate through life and find time and and make the time for the things that are important while also still trying to be motivated to create something from nothing? I'm always looking forward, never backwards. So it's just okay. I'm doing this, 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 and then this is going to get done. And because this is happening, then then three other projects can work out. Uh, it's just coordination is really a key thing. Um, graphic design can be done anywhere. I have so much free time on the road that I can do it on a tour bus. I can do it in a hotel room. I can do it when I'm off tour. It's, uh, it's just something that will always be there, which is great. As long as I have the internet, I can do my job. No problem. Um, you know, coordinating bands can be a lot tougher, uh, but I get bored real quickly. And, you know, I just had somebody asking me questions about something that happened 30 years ago. It's, I think it, next year is going to be the first overcast record expectational dilutions, 30th year anniversary. He was asking me all these questions about it. And I just couldn't remember a thing <laughs> because I'm constantly looking forward. Everyone's like, you know, taking me back to the past and, and, and uh, stuff I really haven't even thought of yet. You know, um, it's just so much, so much happening in the future that it's hard to, dwell i guess and, and and i'll i'll be able to dwell when the bands are done and, and i have nothing to do and i'm bored out of my mind but it's hard it's hard to come up with answers for stuff that <laughs> happened so long ago when i i just 
you know, it just hasn't even entered my mind since then. Well, I think that's, I think that's an interesting thing. I've really stumbled across in the, like the last year or so is thinking about, and a lot of it really just stems from like when I do mushrooms and stuff like that, I get really fascinated with time and the idea of time more so from the perspective of like past, present and future and how at times you like the, the greatest example, quick story is I remember taking shrooms, walking with my friends who brought their dogs and they had little tiny dogs. So they had to stop all the time while we were walking so they could rest. And, and I remember there was an old couple in front of us and then a jogger. And at one point we had passed the uh, old couple and then the jogger passed by us. And I was like, just started laughing. I go, it's really weird that we exist in our presence we they were ahead of in our future now they're in our past and then the lady mm-hmm. was ahead of in our future and just traversed through our present and into the past and just <laughs> thinking about that as a as a concept and in recent years since kind of doing more like microdosing and stuff like that and like therapy and a lot of other things i've just kind of have stumbled across across this thing that you know you as musicians and especially those at a certain level where you're doing press and so forth and have had the longevity of a, a 10 15 20 30 year career that it's you exist in these interesting planes where the things that you are living through now are going to inspire whatever is the next thing that you're going to create. Then you have to record it, but then you have to, when you start ready, getting ready to tour, do press, you go backwards and rethink about all the things that essentially led you to the inspirations. Then you're also existing way in the past of when someone found you. So like, Oh, I found you on the end of heartache. Okay. So that was, you know, two th- like 2003 or four, whatever that was. I have grown exponentially since then, but for you, I only exist in this tiny window. Like thinking about how people think of you and the eras of you. And I think that's just such a fascinating thing and such a, an interesting idea of how does one navigate having to be something in different parts of you for so many people. <laughs> it can get confusing if you think of it that way, I suppose. I've always, I don't know, like I said, this ship just goes one way, it's just forward, and I'm just looking at, okay, a month from now, two months from now, next year, this is going to happen, and uh, it's hard to it's hard to just go back and, and live in the past. I'm not that football player that keeps thinking of this high school, you know, game, because I'm still having those games. I'm still doing some pretty incredible stuff that that's going to be memorable years from now, and it is funny to to lay something down and then 10 years later or so people actually pick it up and say, Oh, this, you know, I, I dig this right now. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, every recording in the studio is like a captured moment in time. And, and, and you replay that one moment in time back over and over again. It can, re- you can reminisce, uh, or you can think to the future, I guess. Are you someone that's good at being present in the moment and understanding that like when something's happening, like to appreciate it or because you are seemingly repetitively have said, I, I keep moving forward. I keep moving forward. Are, are you not good at doing that? So I went to the cure last night. They played in oh, Boston. How was that? Fucking amazing. Uh, set list was on point. We were real close. I, I was right on the button. Uh, as soon as the tickets went on sale, uh, the very second they went on sale, I got tickets and I, I happened to luck out and get some really good tickets. The whole time I'm there, I'm like, I got to live in the moment. I got to look. There's Robert Smith right there. I'm looking at him. Fuck. How am I going to get out of the parking lot when I get out of here? 
where did I park my car? Because it's such a far walk to get back to where my car is. And if I don't get out of here soon, I'm going to get stuck in traffic. Like that, that's how my stupid brain works. I'm, I'm not at the concert anymore. I'm leaving the concert. And then when I'm leaving the concert, I'm like, when I get home, I'm going to throw on this pair of shorts and I'm going to do, I'm going to brush my teeth and all My brain is so frazzled. I cannot, uh, living in the moment's a little bit harder for me, I guess. I feel like, I, I wonder because I, I have the same kind of issues and like my mind's just always going. It's always thinking of things. It's always looking for, I don't want to say like distractions, but I feel like do like booking shows, having been in a band and done some shows and stuff like that. It's like, I've always joked getting into all the different facets of the music industry that I've navigated through has essentially ruined my fandom of it. Uh, I can't go to a concert anymore and not think like, okay, like looks like it's doing this. Well, this room holds about 1800 people. Tickets are about 30 some odd dollars. All right. So the gate probably was this, what was the guarantee? Is the venue making money? Da, 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 da. Do you ever like, do this? I, do, you ever, do, you ever, do you ever look at a fa- uh, like a member of the band and think, is he thinking that he's having a terrible show? Does he think that he's not getting the response that he deserves for this? Is he bored? Like all night, I was looking at member of the, of the Cure. I was like, okay, he's probably not having a good time. Maybe we're not clapping loud enough for this guy. I don't know. <laughs> Just think about everything. I, I music. I do think about that, but a lot of times when I am watching the bands, I think one of my favorite things to notice is like when someone fucks up and then someone else, like I sometimes will catch it and I'm like, oh wait, that wasn't right. And then I'll look to the person or I'll look over at the person. And then I see like, like if it was like, you know, we'll say maybe it was Joel and like you're near him and then you'll look and you'll just kind of all start laughing or all of you. And then I'm like, there are probably 99% of the people watching the show that didn't catch any of that. Didn't even notice there was a flub. But I love that all of a sudden it makes everyone pull out of the autopilot of like, okay, we're playing this song for the millionth time or whatever. Oh shit, a flub. Oh man, you fucked up. Ah, that's funny. And like it br- it's a real moment that's only happening right then and there. And it's, you, you mo- it's you know, those you moments, sadly, that that make me realize mm-hmm. that it's like it's real and we're all we make mistakes. And it's fun to kind of bring yourself back and remember that like this is just, you know, how funny is it? Right. I mean, those are very unintended surprises that happen throughout the show and they happen quite a few times in kill switch, unfortunately here and there between all the members and uh, we all laugh and make fun of each other for some of that stuff. So it it not only happens on stage, but afterwards like, Oh, what did you do that? That was so weird. (laughs) You did some funny thing there and, or whatever, or someone will just go back and apologize for something they may have done. And everyone will just bust out laughing and just start ragging on them. Uh, it's it's a really cool group atmosphere in that respect and in that no one's going to yell at you <laughs> if you fuck up so the, a certain amount of stress is already gone from performing right. when you're when you're with people who are going to take care of you and even if you fuck up someone's going to pick up the slack and and uh and and laughing about stuff like that is a lot better than someone throwing a beer at you or <laughs> you know someone getting <laughs> really really upset i think it's also I think the the bands that have the longevity for the most part, unless you, because I almost thought the question you were going to ask is, do you ever look at someone and go, Oh, are you a hired gun? And I was going to be like, Oh yeah, there are plenty of times I see like the real struggle of like, it doesn't seem like the person who wrote this is like the one performing it. Like, it's like, Oh, I think you probably were hired on. Cause you know, some bands are just literally 
like the singer or vocalist, whatever, and, you know, a handful of writing partners that create everything. But, um, I still think a lot of times it's it's the drummer that maybe gets replaced for the newer guy, a fresher guy, someone with a little more vigor. Uh, last night, I don't, I don't really follow who's in the cure right now. I know the main guys, um, but that drummer was young and good, really good, but that's not original. I went, I was going to say, I just went and saw Matchbox 20 the other day and it was interesting because like I was, we were on the lawn. So like at that point I was just like, I'm just going to smoke weed and just enjoy the show from listening. Cause I can't see shit from back here, but it was, as I was watching like the TV monitors above us, I was like, man, this drummer's like really fucking fast and like really good. And like a lot of what he's doing and the band as a whole just sounded super good. And I was uh, messaging with another friend of mine who now is the drummer for train and he was like, yeah, did you know he's the singer of American Hi-Fi? And I was like, what the oh, fuck? Really? Wow. And he was like, yeah, I was like, I had no idea. Uh, I was like, wild that like, that's how the industry kind of can work at times where it's like, you can be good at something or be a multi-instrumentalist and just find yourself another gig, like being a hired gun to go tour. Has Absolutely. anyone ever reached out to you to do that? I mean, I know you're busy as shit all the time anyway, but. Yeah. in uh, Rio, uh, Hatebreed asked me if I could oh, come right. and play bass for them. Uh, so it was a double, double shot of Kill Switch and and Hatebreed. Um, that was incredibly fun. Huge crowd, I would say, fifty thousand people playing Hatebreed songs for the first time ever in front of those that crowd. And you know, the Hatebreed songs are pretty similar. So I was like, the one thing I got to ask is, you guys don't change the set list before I go on because <laughs> it'll screw me up so bad. A lot of the stuff is around, you know played around the same area and i just may forget a breakdown or something because they're so similar and of course right before we go on jamie's like i want to switch this song this song this song I'm like ah please jamie don't do, it. don't do it please so uh went on stage and played the regular set but it was awesome so much fun would that be something because i feel like that's that's sort of the fun when when bands are kind of coming up is you get to do a lot more of that kind of stuff or coming and jamming on a song. And I feel like toward when it becomes at the level, like you guys are all at, it, it's a little bit more regimented of like, this is what we got to do. I can't really go and do something with somebody else because it, I have to get ready for my show, my set, whatever. And I feel like it, I don't want to say it takes away from the enjoyment of what you're doing, but I just feel like it's a, a different level of enjoyment that you don't maybe get to be as spontaneous as, as maybe you would want to be. There's that. Um, there's also, you know, you play so many shows when you have a show where you're doing a double shot like that. It just stands out. And it, it, yeah, you got to rethink how you're going to operate during the day. Um, but you're, I'm constantly just thinking about when it's over. <laughs> when it's done, this is going to be the greatest <laughs> thing ever. But right now I'm terrified. Um, we just did a, a show with Death Ray Vision and Kill Switch Engage at Hampton Beach in New Hampshire and uh, sold out 21,000 people, 2,100 people. Amazing, amazing. Just so excited to play. And when I got on stage with Death Ray Vision to sound check, I forgot every single note that I was supposed to play. And I already had so much to do that day. My fiance was there. I, I needed to eat dinner. I needed to practice with Kill Switch. I needed to set up merch <laughs> i needed to check in with the promoter you know everything that goes along with getting your band set up for the day i needed to do and all of a sudden i had to drop everything and practice the death ray set three times in a row before i could even 
think about anything else. I was so, so terrified that I was going to screw something up, but it worked out for the best. Luckily, I practiced, repracticed again, and uh, it was a fun, fun set. But you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, my brain can get fried pretty easily. And I think I had just, it had hit the limit right at that sound check. My brain was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I'm checking out. <laughs> and I got it back. Something you've said a few times that I picked up on, you know, you, you're talking about when this is done, when this project's done, when the set's done, when these things are done, I, I can enjoy then, you know, it makes me wonder what let me figure out how I want to articulate this. Do you, all right. So here's kind of where like the impetus of like my thought process went. So when I talked to Justin, one of the last times, you know, he was talking about how performing kill switch stuff is getting harder for him. Like physically it's getting harder for him to, to play the songs, play the sets as long as they are. And part of that was me asking like, would you ever do a blood has been shed thing? And he was like, it's already hard for me to do kill switch stuff and play to that level. I can't imagine trying to go back and play that stuff and learn it all and do all that kind of thing. He wants but, to do it. Yeah, I know. It. It's a, <laughs> it's a thing it. where it's a thing where, you know, I hear that and you know, it's at a point where, you know, he's, he's talking and thinking about like my body just physically can't do this forever and like i'm kind of starting to realize that you know we've had in, like all of us have now had pretty major injuries that we've had to have surgeries for and, and so forth and you know we realize that we don't have as much time maybe forward as we have behind us now and so mm -hmm. thinking about a career in that perspective and hearing you say you know i think about the thing being done so that i can enjoy myself it makes me wonder have you thought or put that same prism of thinking into kill switch at all like, have you, is it at a point where maybe you're like thinking like, it would be interesting to be done with this. And then I could do X, Y, or Z, whatever that happens to be for you. That makes you keep moving forward because you keep thinking forward. Hmm. I would be happy if kill switch never broke up, which is not, you know, it eventually will end and, um, and it'll be sad. Uh, but it's like the one thing that, that I've done that people like <laughs> people enjoy <laughs> And then I feel comfortable with and I feel confident in and uh, excited every time I go on stage with those dudes. Um, my neck is not great anymore. I've definitely toned down a bunch and I can now because of so many lights that are going on in the background. Death revision, not so much. I still got to bang it out. Um, my neck is not the at the greatest point it's ever been, um, but I just got to make do with what I have, keep going and uh, know my limitations, I suppose. Uh, there's a lot more stretching before shows and now after shows. Uh, a lot more preparation needs to happen before I can get on stage. Uh, I just turned 50. Um, mm. I feel stronger and more virile and, and ready to go than I have uh, in the past 20 years. So. I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I'll just hit a wall eventually. Um, maybe I'll just smash right into it and just fall over and that'll be the end. Um, but I'll have time to sleep when I'm dead. I feel like that's such a mentality that I think a lot of us, cause I mean, I'm going to be 39. So you got about 11 years on me, but I think there's uh, the era of, you know, I'll say you, your parents, my parents, the generation before, where that's sort of the mentality is you just kind of go 
Like I think about it all the time when people were like, oh, you know, I'm saving up for retirement or I'm going to do this when I retire. And I'm like, I don't think I could ever retire in the traditional sense of like, I just fucking do nothing because I feel like that's what, when I see that and we hear so many stories of when someone retired, like they died pretty quickly after like a year or two or three afterward. Cause they don't have, I hate to say it like this. They don't have a purpose. They don't have something that keeps motivating them to keep going. And so I feel like, yeah. And I feel like, you know, my dad is, uh, my dad's 81 and he lives in Florida and he still pressure washes like three times a week. He still paints uh, for, for houses and stuff like that when he can. And he, he's still working super hard. I, he does. There's no reason to. And I constantly say to him, relax. Um, but he's, he's in the same, <laughs> the kettle black. same mind state that uh, when, if I relax, then, you know, it may not go well for me health wise. So I'm just going to keep puttering along until, I keel over type of situation. I probably inherited a lot of that mentality from him. That's why I think it's so interesting to see. And I feel like the old, old man now, but that's why I find it so interesting that like so many people kind of do nothing and want, like want to be rewarded for it. And I'm like, what have you done? You're not doing anything. You're not really contributing. You're not working, but you just want like all these things. I want fame. I want money. I want, I want, I want, I want. And it's like, man, I don't, I don't agree with it. It's not it's how I was raised. It's an uncomfortable jealousy uh, that people can get. Entitlement. Hmm. I don't know. You got to work for it. You got to work really hard and assume that no one's going to like anything that you do because it's probably the case. And just go forward anyways. Uh, the funny thing was my parents growing up really didn't want me to be in a band. They would tell me constantly, uh, are you still going to do that? band stuff after you graduate college you're really going to do that stuff and they would go to my boss and tell my boss to tell me to stop playing music but uh it was one, the one driving force in my life that i i knew i couldn't be a part of and i just kept going anyway graphic design music just forge ahead i don't care what anyone says i'm going to just cut you off and just put blinders on and do my thing if i fail it's because i tried I think the interesting thing that I've learned in doing like this, the show and being and talking to people like yourself that are busy doing a ton of stuff. It's so funny that some people would look at us and go, it just feels like you just don't want normalcy. You don't want to really work. You don't want to commit to like a nine to five or a career. And I feel like the interesting thing is I work so hard, harder than a normal nine to five doing and making it look like I don't want any responsibility that I think it's funny that it's like actually having a nine to five where all I do is Mm -hmm. I just go in, punch the clock and do whatever. I don't do a podcast. I don't do all the other things that I find enjoyment in doing would make my life exponentially easier to live. But I don't (laughs) think I would be as, I don't think I'd get as much enjoyment out of my life by doing that. It's true. Being my line of work, you miss a lot of family functions and a lot of I, I think I've been to one handful of family functions in the past 25 years, just something that falls by the wayside in order to hone your craft. And people say I'm, I'm, I'm not working, um, but I miss everything and constantly on the road. I'm doing something. There's definitely something going on there. Whether or not I'm laying brick is a different story, but uh, it's still just as taxing and just as time consuming. And it may even take more brain activity to get something like that accomplished. 
Um, but it wasn't everything. I didn't just set out and say, okay, I'm going to do three bands and I'm going to do a graphic design business. and I'm going to start now. It was like a band that rolls into graphic design that rolls into another band and one band breaks up. So you start another, you know, it's just, it just rolls into another thing, into another thing. Just keep, keep taking them as they come. I think there's something admirable about that because I feel like, I think one of the like first things that I like would think of if someone were to like, if I were to hire somebody like, and recently at the job that I just left, you know, I was in charge of hiring people and someone that I hired was like, Oh, I cut hair. I'm also getting into graphic design, uh, starting my own clothing company. I also do this. I'm going to school for this. And he's like, I only have like one or two days that I'm available. And I remember being very intrigued. And I was like, I like this dude. And I was talking to my district manager who would have to interview him. And he's like, it seems like he's really busy. And I go, but those are the kind of people you want because like, they're the kind of people who don't adhere to any kind of like, Oh, I need this kind of a set schedule. And I go, they're the kind of people who will find the time to do whatever they're passionate about. So like, if he wants this job, he's going to want it because like, clearly he has a bunch of other stuff he could be doing. And I go, it's not like this is the one person. And I go, I tend to find that those people are going to be the best to work with because they're going to come in. They know what they need to do. They're going to come in and kill it. And then they're also going to leave and then go do their other thing and just keep going. Cause they're trying to grind and they're just trying to be successful in, in whatever capacity that looks like for them. And or you'll, or you'll know right away if they don't like it, they'll tell well, you yeah, right away 100% oh, this too. Isn't for me. So the good part is you could weed out, you know, weed out the people that don't want to do it because the person that you're you're referring to uh, would tell you right off the bat, oh, this isn't for me, or, or I have a bunch of other things going on, which is better than someone attempting it half-assed. You know? Yeah. I know it's, it's always kind of hard to answer this question, but <clears throat> something that I, I was just talking with a tattoo artist friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about you know, him kind of getting back into more like neo-traditional style because he was kind of really immersing himself in realism and so forth. And he goes, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about a previous conversation you and I had had where you came in and did something after a cancellation. And you're like, oh, I really enjoyed doing this. And I and I said to him, I go, well, why don't you keep doing this anymore? And he goes, oh, well, you know, no one really, really wants to get it anymore. And I go, if you want to do it, you have to put in a little bit of work, have some pieces ready to go, showcase them that you're willing to do them. And then still say to people like, hey, I'm taking appointments. I'm interested in doing X, Y, or Z. So he started drawing up more designs and kind of getting back into it. And he's like, it's been really fulfilling because I felt kind of stagnant doing the one thing for a little bit. And kind of thinking about that since we had that conversation a couple of days ago and knowing that we, you and I were going to talk, I don't think I had asked you when we were talking about graphic design work the previous time years ago, I don't think I'd ever really asked you if you ever feel like you from a graphic design standpoint have gotten stagnant or needed to kind of get out of a certain style or do something to incorporate something else that has you excited to be like, Oh, I just learned this new thing or I took more photography doing whatever. And now I want to incorporate these things. Um, so I kind of wanted to prose that to you. Is there, was there ever a point where you kind of felt like you were hitting a creative, like this is just kind of what I do and and I need to break out of that thing to be excited about it again. Well, I guess the good thing about being in a ton of bands is just jumping back and forth between band, between tuning, between styles, and then throwing graphic design in there that kind of don't really have time to get bored. It's just so much of different things. And if, if I do reach a point where I just can't do it anymore, I just walk away 
and go and approach a different project that I may be working on and kind of turn that side of my brain off that was working on a, you know, a project. Uh, I'm definitely a, a big believer in, in creating something and then coming back to it the next day and, and then having a, a fresh look at, at certain things. I think that really helps a lot as well. Um, hmm. Did I answer the question? Yeah. I mean, cause I just always wonder like, cause I feel like that's sort of the interesting thing when you become known for a style or a, a visual rep, like when you've earned the right to kind of be like, like there's stuff that when you do it, it's like, that's a Mike D thing. Um, you have kind of become to me in the same breath in the music industry is like a Jeremy Saffer or like some of these other people. When you see Derek Hess, when you see their stuff, you know, it's theirs. Like you have created your mm -hmm. own style, but it also is a thing where I sometimes wonder creatively if like it feel it ever felt limiting to have kind of created the style and go, well, this is what everyone expects me to do now. I can't really branch out and do something different from that. Like I would like to. Well, one of the, you know, I have a cool job where I can do different things. And one of the cool things that happened on the Slipknot tour with Kill Switch Engage is we added a bunch of LED screens backed into the, uh, into the production. And I started getting into After Effects and doing mm -hmm. layering, um, layering video for the video walls. And that was incredibly fun. And it, it sparked an enormous amount of, uh, of just energy and ideas. Um, and I started going all full force into video. And uh, there's just so, uh, so much I need to learn. And that can hold you back sometimes as well is jumping into a, a kind of a new thing. But the raddest part is that it's a lot like Photoshop. So to answer your question, I did, I did just start learning a new program. After Effects is, is incredibly fun. I'm doing some lyric videos for Death Ray Vision. I'm doing some video ads. I just edited my first GoPro footage from uh, two different angles of a death ray vision set that I posted online on YouTube. And um, my goal in that respect would be to do a video someday. I'd really love to get maybe get a third GoPro and get three different angles and, and, and shoot a video. That would probably be one of the coolest things uh, in between writing and all this other stuff. Uh, I wish I had more time to really dive into all these little things that I do. And I, I feel like I don't get into them enough to be like really professional at them, unfortunately, because I have so many things going on. Just when I figure out how to learn how how to record in Logic, I stop recording in Logic and I jump on to After Effects. And just when I figure out all the After Effects things that I need to do to, in order to make the right uh, moves, I I start practicing with Death Revision. It's it's like I <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I jump around too much. <laughs> I would be interested to to see if that would be something like if you would ever have interest A in, I mean, you just said you wanted direct music videos, but are you someone that while you're on the set of like, I'll, it seems like you've been interested in this in the last like handful of years. So when you're working on performing a music, shooting a music video, are you getting behind the scenes and asking like, how are you doing this? Like, what are you like kind of learning like sort of a, a free masterclass of sorts of what goes into it and what people are doing? Not particularly. No, I've always just mm. kind of learned as I go. I don't, a lot of people send me links to all these after effects, effects and, and, and different ways of, to doing things. And I always love that, 
you know, that people are giving me direction, but until I come across the example that, that dictates having to learn a certain aspect, I usually don't learn it. I'm just not good at retaining. So I have to do it right while in the middle of a project. I have to scramble to learn like five different things, but um, that's just kind of the way I do it. Everything goes on at once. It funnels into the one project and then I forget everything as soon as I'm done. <laughs> well, I guess that kind of answers my, my other question I was going to follow up with, which is, do you see yourself at any point kind of, I don't know if Twitch would be the avenue, but like in the case where like, you know, I just had a AL on that does like nailed the mix and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, they put out a big thing with him uh, and Ishan and um, Jens that do like, different like death metal production and so forth. And, you know, talking to him about like just the process of going through something like that and kind of giving them, giving fans uh, and people who want to learn how to, to, you know, pr- record and produce and do all these things, the tools almost essentially, like I said, a masterclass, it makes me wonder, would that be something you would be interested in doing is kind of going through and teaching people graphic design work, how to integrate, you know, different uh, mixed media to kind of create you know, their art themselves and help them along in the journey. But it sounds like you're, you're not necessarily one that kind of would probably be able to plan out a a course like that. Maybe. Yeah. In theory, it sounds really neat. I'm not a great public speaker. I'm not awesome at teaching people certain things. I'm just like, yeah, you you do this, you do that. Hey, you just move that. Just do that. (laughs) I don't know. know. Technical (laughs) phrases, all that stuff just goes out the window. I just, my vocabulary is terrible. So I don't know that I could necessarily do something like that. And, and like I also said, my art projects take a while. I, don't, I think you'd have to have me in like sort of some sort of fast motion uh, screen capture video where it's done over like five days or something really fast. And you can whittle it down to 20 minutes because it takes me forever to do stuff. I, I second guess myself constantly. And um it's just really hard for me to say, okay, this thing's done. I could work on a project and just keep working on it until, but sometimes I just got to cut it off and say, oh, this has got it. This has to go out like today. So I'm just going to consider this done and, and not fill in the blanks uh, or add more stuff. And, and then I can also go the opposite way where I add so much stuff to something that I got to reel it back tremendously. Like this is not even the same image that I thought anymore because I just threw too much crap on it. But in there lies looking at it a second day, looking at it with fresh eyes, uh, remembering to back off after a while and come back to it later. And, and uh, a lot of times I can see right away what the flaws are and be able to fix them. But I don't know if that would work on Twitch <laughs> necessarily. You tell me. I what? don't know that that would work so well. I think it's interesting because some of the people – you know, like Porter from Atreyu does uh, a lot of like photography and, and graphic design stuff. And, you know, even when I've had him on a handful of times and I think he even has discussed on his Twitch thing, like he used to work for a graphic design firm where essentially it was just kind of churning things out just for the sake of like, I, I got five designs done today. So you could try to sell them to whomever the clients are. And it was like, in the one hand, it, it taught me how to work quickly and, and kind of remove my pickiness about what I'm doing but it also really made me realize that that's not where like creativity really comes from. It, it comes from spending the time thinking about something, making choices that are are planned and, and there's a desired outcome because you know, it's getting you toward this. 
I think in that respect, you can also fall into the trap of doing the exact same thing five times in a row. Uh, you can really get trapped in a cave of just doing the exact the same orientation of, of everything over and over and over again, which, which has happened to me as well. Um, yeah, for sure. But I think it's, I, I think what's been fun about seeing some of the different people that do more art stuff is like maybe like it really only works when you're off i would assume because I, I it seems like unless you're matt from trivium and you're bringing this whole rig with you to have multiple cameras and stream on certain times and all that like it just seems like it'd be too hard to do it on the road but it is interesting I mean, to watch like someone start fun, a design though. yeah no 100 it's like he's having a good time and, and he's, the fans love it and i wish i could give that to the fans my, my time is so I, limited and, and it's spread I, out over over such a long period that I just think it's not the right format for me. And I'm a terrible public speaker. I'm so nervous. Well, I, I mean, even now <laughs> I was going to say, I think even someone like uh, uh, Chris uh, from Lake Moss, the flame does that. Like he'll just throw music on, start drawing something. And there's, there's been times where like outside of like 20 minutes, I don't think he says anything. He's just like working on the drawing. And just to, and then it's like a okay. Let's start off. Let's like whoever's watching, pick some songs, and then I'm going to throw them on a playlist. Huh. And then every so often, I'll look at it, add more songs to the playlist. But essentially, you're just watching. Is that him interesting? Do what he's doing. I think it is because it, I think what's interesting about it, especially when he's some of the stuff he's been doing, he's working on design work for somebody. Um, and other times, it's just literally a fucking drawing that he's just doodling, and then it's like, oh, where is this going? I don't know. And then he just kind of gets lost in his own thing. But it's interesting to see the creative process of somebody. Like I used to think, I do kind of think watching people play video games is kind of weird. Cause it's like, I'd rather be playing the video game than watching someone play it. But I think it's fun art, to see the levels that you can't get to. If you're stuck on a part, <laughs> there is that. But I was going to say, I do think it's interesting to see something that some of like, I'm not artistically inclined like that. So to watch someone do it and to see how their mind works and to see mm you know, I, I know this sounds kind of terrible, but like there are times like when I'm working on something and I get frustrated at something and I'm like, fuck, okay. Ugh, and then you just scrap something and then start all over again. And then there's something in that process that you end up finding the thing. And then the thing becomes something else and it inspires another idea. And then it becomes this whole other thing that if you just would have kept beating yourself over the head, hitting that brick wall of like, why isn't this one thing working? Well, you're forcing it. So just right. like you say, step away from it, do something different and then see where it goes. And to me, when I watch people go through that process, it's a great reminder that like, don't be so married to this one thing that you're, and that it's causing problems that you won't step away. And maybe something else happens. That's infinitely better and more interesting and more rewarding because you have that ability to do it. I think I learned that quickly in uh, writing music, that not everything you write is good. And don't be married people, to the demo. people are going to going to maybe gravitate towards the stuff that you maybe don't like, but you put it in there anyways. And that's okay too. And, uh, you know, you just, it's, it's just uh, repetition and just even design work. Like if I'm going to do a logo, I probably do 50 to 60 logos just to get the one that the client really wants. It's just, a lot of spin in my wheels to get to where you need to go because it's a lot of spitballing and throwing things against the wall. You just never know what people are going to gravitate towards and what they're going to really like. Uh, well, I mean, like that was sort of the process of well, literally the the logo you see like over the overlay. 
you know, Porter and I just sat on like a Skype type call where he pulled up his screen and was like, all right, so here's a couple of ideas. Here's what I've got. What do you think? And I was like, ah, oh, kind of like this. I like this about this. I like this about this. And then he was like, yeah. And I go, dude, at the end, I just like want it to be simple. Like the thing I had before was very, you know, you know, I was thinking broader spectrums of like, like I want a, a, a fucking logo thing that I can keep using. And then it becomes like sort of like your, your skull thing that you've changed over mm-hmm. the course of Killswitch's career. Like I wanted something similar where it's like I can manipulate it, have it changed over time, but it's my thing. But then I realized with the color schemes that I went with, it's like it's just too much and it's it's not feasible i want something for a podcast that's just legible still stands out looks kind of familiar but it's not and so as we were kind of talking like i kept going like and as soon as i say this you'll probably see it i was like you know like something that i keep thinking of is like run dmc or like the monday night raw like the old raw's war or like ecw like just something real it's self-contained it's real basic and simple to understand and then, you know, Porter was like, well, you got to have something that makes it stand out, though. And then it was like, I have like an old footprints uh, that add texture to it. We'll add do these things. And then one of the things is we were creating the design, like he accidentally hit a button that made uh, negative uh, coloring. So like it was negative space, essentially kind of looking. I see the blue. Yeah, there's like blue dots. Yeah. Yep. And that was a happy accident. And then because he was showing me like how to do use Photoshop because I'd never used it. So he's like, yeah, you can put this. And then as he did that, it made part of the person's face that he's using that color. And I was like, ooh, I like that. I like the idea that I can put something in there and it changes the color of it. And it is interesting and so on and so forth. So then we added that. And it was interesting to me sit there for about 10, 15 minutes at a time. Always like, oh, okay. And manipulating and doing stuff. And I feel like there's got to, there's just got to be people who would be interested in watching you go through that process of figuring that out and then explaining. See, I, don't even, I don't even want to see myself do it. So <laughs> uh, fair enough. That's cool. I, it's worth a shot. People have asked me a lot. Um, just, I, maybe I'll find time. Yeah, gotta find time. And then get a schedule up that people can actually follow me because I feel like I would just jump on and leave, jump on and leave, and, and no one would even yeah. be able to catch me live. <laughs> I mean, that would be the thing, though. Like, maybe it just looks like a, a once-a-month thing for you where, you know, you can dedicate one one hour or an hour and a half a month to it, and then that's it. And then maybe in the interim, like, you do, like, a screen recording of of, like, what you're working on while you're on the road, and then you just fast-forward through it and be like, hey, this is essentially what I've been doing the last little bit. And then you can do not be on, not be on camera, throw that over and then do a VO of you just basically going like, all right, so here's where I kind of started. And then I kind of scrapped this. Then I realized I had this photo da, 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 for texture and you could do and make it more a, sense. Once something's done, I think probably makes more sense rather than just me spinning my wheels, putting stuff together. That looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I still would be interested to see some of the, uh, the other things. Plus I think at that point too, it would be interesting to, to have you do, Cause I'm sure you have different designs that like either never got finished. You're not going to finish whatever that then maybe you could do like a, a charitable type thing where you're like, Hey, I'm going to auction these off. And then this is the charity that we're donating to or whatever. Mm. And it's like something that is just sitting around doing nothing for you can now be something that uh, someone wants and could be a one of one that sits in their office and has like a great man you're giving me more work perfect uh, no this is work that you're done with and you're not going to do anything with and now you can use it for ancillary uh no, good good positivity me. things i got homework to do shit <laughs> um how you know what because i feel like at this point you know it was funny 
coming out of the pandemic, you know, you guys having, it's tough. Uh, this is going to be kind of a, a weird topic for a minute. I think just kind of going backwards, but forever, you guys are linked to me, uh, for the day before, like the world just fucking shut down. Uh, you guys were here in Grand Rapids. Uh, I got to interview JB from, uh, well, I almost said under oath. That's totally the wrong band. Uh, August burns red and then got to talk to Justin like an hour later. And I remember JB and I were talking about it. Cause at that point it was the second date of the tour and you guys were hearing, like we were all talking like, Oh, COVID. Oh, I hear it's going to be. And you know, JB and I were very like kind of making fun of it. Just like, Oh, I don't think it's going to be a thing. Um, to then just an hour later when I'm talking to Justin, I think I had your TM sitting with us to where it's like, Oh no, uh, Seattle apparently is going to be half cap. Maybe 25% cap is what we're hearing. Um, we might have to change menus. We might like just the logistics of like what was going on an hour into difference from the conversation I had to not only that, know, the, but sh- the government saying, shut it down. We don't even want you on the road anymore. That was, so it was a tough blow. And I remember, again, kind of going back to to things and, and learning about who we are as people and, and just growing experiences. You know, I remember my wife being like, can we leave now? And I was like, no, I'm going to say goodbye to Josh. I'm going to say goodbye to uh, to some of the other people I know that are on the tour. And, you know, because I and she's like, well, we're going to see him in like four days anyway in Detroit. And I was like, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to say goodbye. And it was one of those things like. It's a constant reminder of why I will take the time to spend with the people that I know from touring to go say hi to them, to go see them, go drive an hour, two, three, four, to go see them for an hour and a half to do all that. Because I mean, I was shown in an instant, like it all goes away. It can all go away so quickly. Um, Dramatically in dramatic fashion. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And it was the thing where, yeah, good. Fortunately, we got to make up that tour with those guys, August Bergeret and uh, Howard's band. Like the torch. torch. Um, and it was incredible, but at the time, man, that was such a bummer to be ready and excited for tour. And I remember getting home from that tour, you know, only playing two shows. We had the bus rental. We were in, in the whole hundreds of thousands of dollars, possibly, uh, our crew didn't have work. Like I felt even worse for the crew. Um, cause they had, you know, totally set their side, their lives aside to do this stuff and were told they were going to get a certain amount of money and didn't get any of it. Um, it's pretty rough. It took me, uh, I would say two months to get out of the funk mm. because of the news and everything that was going on. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't go near graphic design. I didn't go, I didn't even listen to music. Uh, I was just so depressed, I guess. And, and in, and in tour mode, uh, there's a tour mode, there's like life mode and, and they're two totally separate things. And I, I, the whole time my body's like, you should be on tour right now. And it's a weird feeling. It's like this anxiety of wanting to get on stage and have a good time. And, and none of that was happening. It was just all bad news. It's just all negative stuff. So it was a, it was a, a weird reinforcement of how this could all go away really fast and to appreciate every single moment that you have on stage and every single show that you play and not take any of it for granted. It's uh, thank God we're back to normal. Thank goodness. Everything's the right way right now. And uh, we can enjoy ourselves back at a show. I guess the, the question I was going to ask is, 
did that allow you to, I guess, I don't want to say be more in the moment, I guess, because we kind of already addressed that, but did it give you a, make you appreciate it more than you, than you maybe had? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was nothing I wanted to do more than go back out on tour and play shows again. And, and when we officially got the green light to do that, that's exactly what we did. I think we were talking about recording and doing this all the other stuff. We put everything aside and just said, let's just go out and play. And we did that live palladium thing. That was super duper fun. And that was the first time we had all seen each other for about a year or so, maybe a year and a half since we left each other, uh, left the tour bus and, and went our separate ways. So in, in some respects, the, the, that show, the live at the Palladium thing that we did uh, brought us back together and, and brought all the exciting tour life back back to the forefront. And uh, God, just made us salivate to get back on the road. It's, it was just uh, eye-opening to see how things can change so fast. That was a weird one, that, that, that live thing we had to. So we recorded all of Atonement. And we recorded all of the first record uh, live. And we had never played half the, t the Atonement songs together live. And we, there was a few songs even from the first record that we never actually all fully played together. Or if we did, we hadn't played them in like 20, 20 years or so. So you got to relearn these songs, some songs you've never played before. You got to keep those in your mind and remember to play them like you've played them forever like this whole time, then you got to stand on stage and pretend to move while there's nobody there to give you like encouragement <laughs> or like give you that like excitement of a crowd. And you're just nervous because there's just cameras in front of you. And in and, and my headspace was just that don't fuck up. Do not fuck up. Do not fuck up. Oh, and you're supposed to be moving around too. You're supposed to be pretending that you know these songs. So walk around, you idiot. <laughs> Do something because you look like a moron standing up there just trying to figure out what the heck you're doing. But it's just a, a clinic on, on getting things done and getting things done fast, I suppose. I almost expected you to pull and do like what AEW was doing and, and at least have like the crew or the people that like be there or be audible or be seen like clapping for you or whatever it be like your yeah. crowd. Cause like they were the only ones that could be there. Yeah. Um, well we fly the crew in from everywhere and, and uh, even the band members leave, live kind of all over the place. So it would be torture for them to come and not get paid <laughs> and just stand there and uh, you know, fly in and watch us perform rather than, and work so we didn't want to be mean to them <laughs> so we waited till we could we waited till we could we we did we definitely uh, helped them out as much as we could with you know government grants and, and as many different things as we could possibly do for those guys because that was our main concern was you know some of those dudes have families and kids and it just really sucks to be promised a certain amount of money and not be able to get it because of you know what's going on in the outside world or a tour just coming to a, a, a halt really fast uh you just I just feel bad for those guys in general. Do you, as someone who doesn't look back very often and has a bad memory, I was going to say, do you remember the first show back? And is there something that stands out like upon walking out on the stage, being able to play for the first time after not being able to during COVID and all that? Is there a moment that like just sticks out to you? Hmm. It's all a blur. It's all okay. a blur. Um, but I, I mean, 
that whole tour, just I, I remember the first tour back just thinking, wow, this this could have been over. And now we have a second chance to get back in front of people and 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 show them how much we love to do this because we really love doing it. Um, and we know that it can't last forever. We're, we're, we're getting at that age where I don't know how many more albums Killswitch has left to do. Um, maybe this is the last one. Who knows? But um, giving it our all for as long as we can. And now we're able to do it again because shows are happening. So we're going back to Europe for the first time since the pandemic. Uh, this time around in August. It's just really exciting again. Uh, sometimes you know, the flights over there and, and, and travel. And, and sometimes, you know, I'm not going to complain about being on a bus, but sometimes even the buses are just not as, as what you'd expect. And uh, touring in Europe can be a little bit less than touring in the States, even just with the, with uh, being able to communicate with people in so many different languages and, and being vegan and, and, and hard to order, but I cannot fucking wait to go. I cannot wait to get there. I just, I, there's nothing I, I can even think of that I'd rather do. And uh, we're doing some pretty fun festivals this time around too. Dynamo for the first time. Can't wait to can't wait to do that. That's really exciting. Um, doing Falcon again for the second time ever. Uh, last really? time we did that, we, we, we shot the video for This Is Absolution yeah. and Howard was in the band. <laughs> so it's been a long time and, and I'm really excited. I remember it was like 80,000 people last time we played. And I was so nervous because Vakken is like that one really metal festival where you got the no shirt wearing leather vest beer drinking tattooed guys who just came off a of harley davidson ready to party and they want to see metal god damn it and if you're not performing as hard and as heavy as they want you to be i, I don't know i don't even know what would happen i had these images of like cabbages getting thrown at us we were sandwiched in between the uh reunion of at the gates and the reunion of carcass mm. and we were right in the goddamn middle and those are two of my favorite bands and i just i felt like so small <laughs> getting on stage you know be playing in front of and in back of those bands and i didn't look up for like three songs and then i looked up and i saw that people were enjoying it and then i could get into it but that was uh more to come i suppose here we go round two walking hopefully it goes well uh, one of the cool things we are doing, though, while we're in Europe is we're playing uh, Bloodstock, which is in the UK, mm. in Derbyshire. And they asked me if I wanted to do an art exhibit at their little mm. gallery they have it on site. So you can go there to the festival and check out a gallery. I, th I think I'll do the 20 or 21 different prints. I'm not positive that some of them will be for sale, but um, it's the second time I've ever done an art gallery thing. And it's really fun going through old files and seeing a lot of terrible work and maybe occasionally some, some stuff that was appropriate for something like this. And just going through everything I had for a couple of weeks and figuring out what made the most sense to encompass. Uh, wow. It's 92. So it's been, <laughs> it's been a long career of junk and crap. And uh, <laughs> I'm just grateful people like some of the stuff. So it's, it's just, I just wanted to mention that that, that art gallery is going to happen and I'm really excited about it. See, you say something like throughout the whole thing of like, Oh, it's junk. It's crap. It's whatever, uh, you know, all these things, but then you, you talk about, and I could even see it. And those that will eventually watch the video version of this, you could see that you're like genuinely excited about, doing this exhibit and so to me it's like one of those things where i would feel like that's something you would want to pursue a little bit more 
just a different facet of showcasing your art in a different medium. I just, uh, I think I said before, I just, I'm, I'm really hard on myself with that type of with artwork. And I just constantly want to keep revising things. That's why whenever I do re-releases of records, they usually come out a thousand times better. Like I did uh, an end of harder re-release gatefold cover and as daylight dies and, uh, um, uh, alive or just breathing and did some, was able to dive back into some projects and, and write some wrongs that I had done in the past. And I really am not incredibly happy with a lot of my work, which is just the way I am. Um, so when I'm able to dive back in and, and, and fix some stuff that has been nagging me or that I've seen. And every time I look at the piece, I'm like, I fucked up that thing right there. And I screwed up that thing right there. I was able to write some of those wrongs and make me just slightly more happy than I was before. This might be an odd question because I would assume like you went to school for graphic design and or art and as a whole, I would assume is that yep. you went to college yeah. for. Uh, yeah. Uh, four years of college, four years of high school, graphic, uh, technical high school, graphic arts. So, you know, I, if, if the, if the college part of it is anything like some of the people I know that have gone to that, it's like, you have to submit work to be able to be, to get in. And then in order to get like your degree, usually you have to pass like, which I think we talked about this previously, um, which is weird going to school for something that's creative being judged on art that you created because it didn't quote unquote follow rules. But the people that you're supposed to be taking inspiration from to create your own thing, those people didn't follow traditional rules either. So I always thought it was kind of a weird thing of like, how do you grade someone on something that they're creating based sure. on people not following rules? Not only that, but I also got the, you can't keep doing music stuff. Stop with the music projects every five minutes in college. My thesis, my almost everything I did still revolved around music. Like, okay, great. You can do that. Let's see you do something completely different because you're not going to get a job doing artwork and music. Okay. I'll show you. <laughs> but I was going to say, like, my question comes, my question is, and, and I'm equally I'm really fucking bad at this. Like I'm bad at taking compliments. I'm second guessing myself to death. Uh, I don't think anything I do is, is usually good, like, or great or anything like that. I could be like, Oh, here's where this wasn't good or whatever. But at a certain point, I feel like, especially decades into doing it, that I would feel like some of that would subside. So I'm kind of surprised to to hear that. Like, (laughs) If it's, if, I've if got I my 10,000 hours, <laughs> I was going to say, if it's, no excuse. if it's from, if it's anything related to like mine, it would be probably just imposter syndrome. Like you look to other people who have done great things. And when someone mentions you in the same breadth as these other people, you're like, well, no, 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 no. Cause like, here's clearly why these people are great. And then there's me and I'm just, yeah, I just do this thing. I can attribute I, to go going to see neurosis like or way back in like through silver and blood or like uh uh um souls at zero like going to see that band and just saying everything i'm doing is wrong every band i've been in is terrible and this is what i should be doing like you you all of a sudden get this new picture of what things are supposed to look like and, and it mm. brings things more into focus for you or, or makes you feel terrible about your what you're doing because you should be doing something a, a bit more uh I don't know, in line with uh, that creativity, I suppose. But uh, 
I compare myself to a lot of stuff and, and uh, wrongly accuse my, my crap of being crap. And uh, maybe I should be a little less hard on myself, but maybe that's also a good way of growing and getting better at your craft. I do think there's something to be said about, and this is again, kind of going things that I learned through therapy, which is discussing and understanding that like you are good enough or something. And obviously the opportunities and, and achievements that you have ach redundant statement, but achieved uh, aren't just because you happened into them. Sometimes like the opportunities are, but what you do with those opportunities are based on you knowing and being confident in what you deliver. Like I would assume you wouldn't, pitch yourself to a label or a project that you don't think you would be able to kill it at. Right, so it's exactly. like, why, why wouldn't you take that same level of, uh, of understanding of yourself and your craft and also speak to it in such a way that you're like, I am this good. I know I can do this thing and I will do good and, and change the vernacular of how you speak about it and see how it changes your outlook on other things. And it sounds hippy dippy to say it like that, but it's like, I have noticed that, Instead of like the job, I mean, granted, I'm leaving the job, so take it for grain of salt. But the reason I left the job was for a lot of other reasons. But I went into the interview and most of the times when I would interview, I'm like, well, I know I can do these things or, yeah, you know, I can do that. And I went into this one going like, I will do this. I know I'm good. I know I can do this. And I went into it with more self-confidence than I ever have doing anything else. And it was the thing that like made them pick me because they're like, everyone else kind of said the thing you said in the interview where you're like, some people will tell you like, yeah, I think I can do, I think I can, I think I can. And I go, no, I'm going to, I am going to do this. I will do this. And I did all those things. And it's one of those, it's a thing where like going to therapy and just realizing and understanding like how we speak about ourselves and our abilities can change our mentality about what we do and how we perceive ourselves. Cause I think we are our own worst critics a hundred percent. But I also think because I hear a lot of myself in you that I speak kind of like, it's almost like a guard where it's like, if, cause I feel like it comes to this thing where if someone's like, Oh, that's not that great. You're like, yeah, man, I know. Uh, and then you have like, it's kind of like you already said it was. So therefore it's like a defense mechanism. And I feel like it's a thing for me where I, I, can see it in others. And then throughout this conversation, I've heard you kind of do it. And I, and I just, I know we don't really know each other well enough for me to say something like this to you, but like, I, I really hope you understand that like you are really good at what you do and you obviously put a lot of time and effort and care into everything you do. And it does come across. And I think that like, it, it does kind of bum me out at times to, to know that there are people who are really good at something and just maybe don't give themselves the permission to, to vocalize it to themselves. Well, I appreciate that. There's a fine line between taking yourself a little no, too seriously and, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, in, in general, I don't particularly like my work, but that's just a thing. That's, I think that's a good thing. I think it strives me to get better at what I do and maybe learn a little bit more and, and uh, take more care. I think you were talking before about people doing really fast artwork. Uh, that's when mistakes for me happen. If I do something too fast, there's going to be a glaring mistake right in front, a misspelled word, a, a really screwed up thing uh, that I necessarily wouldn't catch in the moment. I wouldn't catch till the next day. Um, so it's just it, a lot of my time is spent taking time, taking the time and effort into a project that that it deserves. 
and and trying to do the best that I can and trying and then trying in turn trying to cut it off and stop <laughs> and say this is done put it away one of the I'll start wrapping this up because I don't want to keep you too much longer um, what is what is a project that you haven't done could be musically could be graphic design work whatever what is like kind of a, a white whale project for you that you would love to do that you just haven't had the opportunity to yet, either through time or just not a connection yet? Hmm. Did I mention that I want to shoot a video? Yes. Yes. That's that's in my mind. That's like the the a number one thing that I want to do is is attempt attempt a video, <laughs> at least see if I can do it. Like you know, just to see even for my own satisfaction if I can pull it off. Um, so that's like the Holy grail thing for me right now, only because I probably just started learning after effects and I'm just so jazzed about, about putting things together and almost instantaneously something looking real, looking like a real product. Uh, it's really, it's very f fast. I can get something done in like an hour, whether it looks good or not is a different story, but, um, it's just through knowing other programs really well that that program seems to slide in and fit really well almost like skateboarding when i was a kid and then going to snowboarding it's like such an easy it was a tremendously easy transition and i almost felt like i um was pulling the wool over someone's eyes because now all of a sudden i'm on a skateboard and it's strapped to my feet how much easier is that <laughs> you know what i mean um so hopefully that explains it you, you, I was gonna say you've done a design on skateboards for Kill Switch at least, right? Yeah, I've done some uh, Kill Switch stuff. There's some a, a few things here and there. Some underground companies uh, once in a while, able to do some stuff for it. It's, it's really fun. I like it. It's cool. I like the idea of um, different colorways and, and how inks. If if you have a certain dyed board, maybe um, some sort of a uh, wood grain that shows through and then you have graphics in a certain color and maybe the wood grains you have like five different color wood grains but the same color graphic goes on each and there may be like a knockout where that color can kind of shine through it really jazzes me up to think about how the colors are going to work together and in which different situations they're going to work in the reverse of what i think and i just i love knockouts i don't know if you're familiar with knockouts but but an image where there's it shows through and you can see the actual thing underneath it. Yeah. And, um, that always, that always stoked me out on, on skateboards in general is just being able to see other colors underneath the graphic that may not be the exact color that you think of, but it just completely turns the design on its head. That's been my last few weeks. So I left the job working as a general manager of a like sports uh, apparel store and went back to the screen printing job I had like 15 years ago, but the only doing the only thing I didn't do when I worked for the company previously, which is the ink maker. So now I'm the one who's going through and okay, the job calls for these inks. And then the fun thing. It's a lot of math, right? It's a lot of math, thank, a lot of weighing. Thankfully that all the formulas exist. So I was just grabbing a scale and then weighing out like, okay, like, this color is, you know, 2,400 grams of the base, you know, 560 grams of this white, mm. 32 grams of, you know, marine blue, and then, you know, whatever to make this color. But what's been 
infinitely frustrating for me as a, a, a someone who's into perfectionism of like, okay, like here's a fucking Pantone, here's a swatch, like I have to match these exactly. That even when you do the recipe and follow it, like the color, like the one I was doing a, a week ago, it was supposed to kind of be almost like, do you, I don't know if you were really big into candy, but do you remember the candy bottle caps? Mm-hmm. Okay, so like the, the cola one, that like kind of uh, weirdish kind of gray, like semitone, like a half tone to it, like where it's like kind of gray, a little bit more yellow based. Um, so there was a color I needed that needed to be like that color. And the formula when I did it was more of like almost like a skin tone, like a like a peach kind of skin tone. So then I had to figure out based on what it was. And then that's where the math kind of comes in because it's like, all right, it's it's four colors. Base doesn't really count for much because it's it's a neutral color. It doesn't do anything. So out of the three colors I had, two of them were only six grams each. So it's like, okay, this isn't really doing much, but whatever it does is doing enough to bring out the colors. So it was, all right, add a little bit more to this. Okay, there's 10 grams. All right, that kind of gets me a little closer. Let's add a little bit more yellow because it's more of a yellow color. And then by the time I had spent like an hour with it, I was no closer. I got close-ish, but then when I tried to figure it out, I was so far removed from where it was because it was almost like Adobe colored. Toward the end, it was so red that I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. So I had to make start all over from scratch. And then I just kind of sat there and was like, all right, now what? And mm-hmm. then you start consulting with other people who have a little bit better, more knowledge of doing that than I have been. But it, it's fun, but it's also frustrating because when you're like, when it's like a little drop of this can drastically change something. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, well, that, that one half Where's the delete button? I don't know how to take that out now. Yeah, exactly. So it's infinitely frustrating, but it, but it is cool to kind of when we're go, to get back into screen printing and kind of be around like the idea of like looking at sep, you know, there's different separations of the, the art files and so forth, and just seeing like how things come together. Like there was a job I was pulling for, and I was trying to figure out how much blue I needed for this thing, and even though it was taking up a whole screen, the whole point of the blue is actually just to kind of be a light highlight in the background of the, the full image. And so I didn't really need to make it anymore, but it was interesting to be like, this calls for so much blue on this one screen. And then when you look at the image, you barely can see blue on it at all. So it's inter- like you were saying, sort of like the, the breakouts or knockouts or whatever, like when you kind of see how colors work together to put a, a whole image together and then stuff like that, it's, it's so fascinating to just see what you're able to pick up on and, and what makes the entirety of the thing. And Again, you know, kind of, like I said, being more in trying to be more in the moment and thinking of things for more of a cerebral aspect of things. It kind of has made me realize, like, I've been really fascinated with the idea of roles, like in like person to person communicating, like just different roles. And even looking at things like that, it's like the thing may not seem like it's that important. It's only like this big on like one screen and it's just this little thing. But man, that one little thing where that pop of color is really can change how the whole graphic looks, the whole image looks. And the role that that little thing plays may seem insignificant, but it's actually really huge to the the greater of the whole. And it's fun to kind of be back in this environment. It's it's full of people who I think are way more creative and have a lot of other things that they're interested in. It's just the thing that they know how to do and do well. But it's been fun to be back in something that's a lot more creative and, and to kind of feel like challenged in something. Cause like I said, it's the only job I haven't done, which is making ink or mixing the inks. Mm-hmm. I'm already seeing like when I nail one, like right out the gate, like right away, like, Oh, I think it needs just a little bit of this. And then you add it and it's like perfect. You're like, Oh, that's awesome. I figured it out. Mm-hmm. 
then it's equally frustrating when you spend an hour, hour and a half trying to make one fucking color, and you're like, I don't, I don't even know where to go with this. Although I had that same problem a week ago, and the one thing I said, I was like, I feel like it needs this blue, like five grams of this blue, and I think I'll be there. And then we found an, an updated formula somewhere else on the the main website that we use for it. And that, that was what it called for. It was like five grams of that blue. I said, I think we need. And See, I was you're like, getting the feel for it now. I'm not an yeah. idiot. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> you, you're you're on, well on your way to your 10,000 hours of figuring out what stupid colors make colors change. <laughs> yeah, I already made the, uh, I've, I've made one terrible Pantone joke already. So that was fun. That seems very tedious. But if you like what you're doing, that's pretty awesome. I think I'd pull my hair out of my head because I, yeah, it it definitely takes a while to get a feel for what colors are going to affect other colors. I don't know if I've had that capacity just yet to do, to be able to pull something like that off. I do love screen printing. That's fun. That's one facet that I've never done. I've, I've done so many shirt designs and separated so many different uh, images into into Pantone colors and, and uh, separations my entire life, but I've never actually pulled ink. I've never actually done the thing and I've always wanted to. You know, honestly, that surprises me because something, and I've said this to a handful of people when I've worked on doing like, like not me actually designing uh, shirts for different businesses and so forth, but being the conduit where I side hustle and go like, Hey, you guys want shirts for this bar? I'll do it for like a tab instead of paying me the money for it. Um, Cause the barter system still is awesome. If you have a skill that sure. people can use, but Right. What's interesting is there are people like I saw this with uh, someone who did a, a, a T-shirt for a bar that I had helped make the first round of shirts for. And then they did a second design and they had a tattoo artist do it. And I said it looked great, but it's not great on a shirt. It's too flat. And I go, I think that's the thing when you have someone who understands graphic design and going on a, on shirts and material and how it's going to lay on on a shirt and on a body that they understand how to create movement where there really is, technically isn't. And so it, it's kind of interesting to hear that you, because I feel like that's something that I've always had, had liked about a lot of your stuff is that it feels like it has movement on a flat surface. Mm -hmm. Like it's something that I feel like some people get and some people don't. So to hear that you've not really taken it to the level of like actually putting, you know, screen printing in some minimalistic format, that it's interesting to see that you've somehow nailed being able to create an image that looks good on a shirt and has that movement that a lot of people I think aren't good at. Ten, yeah, I definitely had the, a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of mistakes, definitely way over 10,000 hours of creating t-shirt designs and figuring out what works and trying to get like, I call it action, but you call it movement. Just like you got to relay to the person looking at it that there's something going on, that there's something happening, not us, something, you know, some bands like stagnant images. Uh, I'm more of the in your face kind of really big, bold it's got to have, it's got to say something without words. Bang. That's kind of what I go for. Well, I mean, indirectly, I mean, just even looking at behind you, a lot of the stuff I see behind you on those skate decks, it's more of an image, not necessarily the words on it. So it doesn't surprise me that that's sort of where you're, you draw your own inspiration from for that. The other thing I, I was going to ask, have you gotten into toy making? Cause like, it seems like now doing custom toys has become a thing. And I feel like that would be something that you would be interested in dipping your toes into. I would be, but that would be learning 3D modeling. And I don't know that I have time 
to do that. It'd be really fun maybe to create it, something and send it off. I know uh, my buddy Toby from uh, Devil's Head Records, who used to put on all the Aftershock stuff, has been doing a really cool toy line. And uh, I really admire the stuff that he does. It's really fun to think up new colorways of the, of the same figurine and, and, and put out, you know, limited editions of everything. I, it seems like something, an avenue that I could get into pretty easily, um, but it would take probably learning a 3D modeling program or even be able to draw for that matter. I, I'm not an illustrator. Everything I do is done through camera or, or just like buying and mixing graphics up with other graphics to make a brand new thing. Uh, I wish that was one aspect I also had uh, under my belt was in being an illustrator. But uh, right now, I'm really enjoying being an art director so I can hire illustrators to do my illustrations for me. I'd be interested to see, and this is just kind of like, like in the term of sports, like fan, or I guess even wrestling fantasy booking here. It would be interesting to see you work with Jordan Buckley. Cause I feel like he would be, mm. since that's all he usually does is a lot of illustration. It'd be interesting mm. to see actually like a, a really interesting collab. I think would be you, Jordan and, and Jeremy to see like how the three of you all, create something that's like mixed medium together. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. He does a lot more painting, right, Jordan? Uh, he does a lot of stuff using Procreate now, I think, which is mo oh, what okay. most everyone kind of does, because then you don't have to, you know, have all your paints and do all that. You can just literally kind of get your lines right, get them solid the way they're supposed to be and just change stuff. But uh, it's crazy to see how that I remember when that program came out, a lot of tattooers took to it pretty quickly. Yes. And a lot of people were like, iffy about it because they're like oh it's kind of cheating because like if you make a mistake instead of like realizing the mistake you made and starting over or racing or whatever and perfecting your line work and all that you can just simply like push a button and then fix it but i do think that it's also allowed people to not sort of like you're saying if you make a mistake or realize something's not working you can kind of delete it back to the point where you're like ah it doesn't work up to here and then go forward and make it what it needs to be I just think it gives you way more options and it's very forgiving. So you can, like you just said, just uh, maybe even try things you normally wouldn't try because you don't want to screw up an image uh, on paper. Yeah. Maybe you can go out on a limb more and, and be more creative uh, in totally different ways that you maybe never thought of only to find that you don't like it. And you can thankfully get rid of those parts really quickly and I, I like that. I, if that's cheating, then I've been cheating my entire life. <laughs> well, last question for you. Where uh, where can people find you or anything you would like to plug online? All right. So New Death Ray Vision comes out June 30th. Uh, record is finally coming out. It's been a long, how, long wait. How long, have you, how long have you been sitting on this by, by question? So we recorded it and had it all mixed and mastered by October is when we handed it in. So it's been, uh, you know, it takes forever for vinyl sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't take any time for vinyl. It just it depends on the vinyl company. And so many people want to press things these days that a line can form pretty easily. So we had like a, a seven month window of, of waiting till this record came out. And really the good part was we could formulate a plan for right now when the big fireworks of the label putting out the videos and having lots of press and doing all the things we had this big plan that right now, this is when we're going to start really uh, putting in all the effort and uh, we got our set list ready to go. We got a bunch of shows that are going to happen. We got a tour this coming weekend uh, with tree and old hardcore band. 
and uh, just getting all our eggs all in one basket ready 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 for sale um so it was it was cool to have this much time in a perfect world i would like to make a record and have it out a week later and just <laughs> ride that wave of like being high on the record and then other people learning about it and getting and them being stoked on it as well uh this one was a slow burn but super psyched june 30th metal blade records death ray vision um no mercy from electric eyes is coming out uh, on the kill switch front we're going to europe for the first time as i said uh, since the pandemic we're doing a bunch of festivals and i also told you about uh, bloodstock and uh the cool art gallery that i'm going to do there it's my second one i've ever done and it's, it's just really exciting to be even be asked let alone have it at a big festival like that where a lot of people get a chance to see it and uh that's all my big stuff that's going on for me um Full speed ahead with Death Ray Vision, though. Please check it out. So that was my conversation with Mike D, again, of Death Ray Vision, whose upcoming album, No Mercy from Electric Eyes, is coming out this Friday, as of when you're listening to this. Um, the first couple of singles that have dropped have been really fucking interesting, and it was kind of fun to talk to Mike about something that showcases a different side of, of him. And I'm not necessarily saying, and as you heard him say, it's not something lyrically maybe necessarily that he would have, uh, you would associate him with, but I do think it's interesting to see how now the band kind of ends up becoming a little bit more political and, and kind of makes the music that the band is creating, uh, feel a little more, Important is the thing I keep coming back to. It, it feels like this is something that needs to be said. Some of the music that is coming out, you know, a lot of people made the comment during the Trump administration that, you know, where are all the great punk bands? What are all the great, like, kind of politically charged music that, you know, was so prevalent during, like, the Reagan era and so forth? And I feel like we might look back on on this new Death Ray Vision record sort of as that. And it it's interesting, too, because I feel like it gives the band a, a new sense of life you know they've you know the record before to this one i feel like it's just such a different band it sounds i don't know i just like i said i keep coming back to it, it sounds alive it sounds uh important uh, as the as a phrase i keep coming back to when i listen to the tracks um something else i kind of wanted to hit on too you know kind of in, in the intro i had kind of talked about um you know, understanding intentions and, and just kind of being more uh, aware of things you're saying, you know, acting with purpose and so forth. And another thing I've really been thinking about since this chat with Mike that I, I kind of want to put out there for someone maybe who doesn't take the time to, to celebrate themselves, I guess, for lack of a better term, because that was something else that Mike and I kept talking about through this was um, why we tend to downplay our own worth, uh, downplay our own abilities. Um, you know, sometimes people are just not good at taking compliments or feeling good about what they do. Um, and I, I do understand that it, it's, it's tough sometimes to, to give yourself or allow yourself to feel good about something you're doing because you feel like maybe it's coming across as too braggy. But I'm going to take a moment uh, to talk about something that I experienced this past week. And it was something 
that made me feel really proud of myself. And, and when I say this thing, I don't mean to say it in such a way where people are like, dude, fuck this guy. He thinks he's so cool. But it's more that I really had to just kind of embrace it because I was, it was fucking happening. Um, so my wife and I went to go see the used, uh, the other day. Um, they came through with Don Broco and, and Pierce the Veil. Uh, shout out Amy as well again um, for helping me get tickets to that because for some reason tickets were astronomically a fuckload of money. Uh, my wife really wanted to go see Don Broco and The Used and she doesn't really ever ask to go to a lot of shows. So uh, it was one of those things where because of the podcast I was able to uh, finally swallow my own pride and actually ask, ask for some tickets or to buy some tickets from some other means other than trying to spend $200 each on these tickets. But it was a thing where I'm sitting there and right before we ended up going to the show, uh, I got my payout from podcast sponsor money. And so I upgraded the tickets we had so we could go to like this, this venue has like a VIP section where you can like have access to like a bar just for those people and a bathroom. The bathroom was the big one because I knew the show was almost sold out. So I wanted there to be like less bathroom uh, people that I'd have to deal with uh, waiting in long lines and so forth. And was a thing where I'm sitting there watching the used and having a fun night with my wife and, you know, I'm listening to the taste of ink and that song. And I, if you listen to the Jeffa episode, you know, I talk about how growing up in a small city, hearing that song, making it feel like it was okay to, to be from a small city and have big aspirations and going for it and getting out of that fucking environment that keeps you down. And to have been listening to that song for 20 something years, just, it always hits me when I hear it in different points in my life, doing different things. Like, you know, being on a shitty tour that I booked with a band from New York and being on the road, going to places I've never been. And that song pops on and it makes me think of that, uh, being at that show and hearing that song, thinking that this fucking podcast that I started seven years ago, the, wonderful patience of my wife allowing me to to spend time doing these things, making the intros and outros, cutting into our own time at times when we, where I have interviews to do and so forth, and realizing that the podcast got us to a show that we wanted to go to, got us a hookup uh, as far as the extra thing that I paid for with money that I made from the show, and I just literally sat there for a moment like looking at everyone sing this song that I've been listening to for so long and just thinking about like how proud I am of myself that like this thing fucking is happening and we are here enjoying this moment spending time together because of the fucking thing I do this thing that I do and I was really fucking proud of myself in that moment and I don't have many moments like that where I'm I'm proud of me because um, a lot of times I just think of something Dewey from Pure Pleasure Podcast it actually said and it's it rings true so often and I try not to go down this road because I think of it, it's such a bummer thing, way to think of it. But it's like, you know, he was talking about on his podcast a while ago about how, you know, he's doing all these interviews and so forth and, and wants it to almost be a capsule of like, when he passes on, his kids have hundreds of hours to be able to hear their dad talk about them, his life, and all this kind of stuff. And I think he said his therapist was like, what if they end up hearing it and then all they think of is that this was all the time I never got with my dad. And I think about that so much in, in relation to my wife where I'm like, 
I talk about my wife quite a bit and I talk about our relationship quite a bit on this show. And I know she doesn't listen really hardly ever. Um, but it's a thing where I think sometimes the same thing where I'm like, what if instead of, you know, one day she stumbles across this is like, Oh my God, it's great to hear my husband say these nice things about me. Uh, or our relationship or whatever. And instead it's like, this was all the fucking time that he never spent with me. Um, so it's a moment that I had, uh, thinking about just being present, uh, the intention behind your actions and your words and this conversation and a few others that you'll hear in the, in the next coming weeks, uh, have really stuck with me, but I, I really wanted to take a moment to just talk about that of just being, it's okay to be proud of yourself. It's okay to feel good about the accomplishments that you make. And it doesn't, as long as you don't make it solely the thing that you do or become where you're just like, Oh, I talk about myself in the third person, or, uh, I only talk about my successes and none of the failures or any of the, the growth opportunities within these things. Um, I don't know. I just, maybe, maybe if you're listening to it this far in, um, think about something, be, be, be proud of yourself for something you do, whatever it is. Um, it's okay to, to pat yourself on the back and, and be in the moment. All that said, start wrapping up this episode because I know it was long. Uh, if you're still listening at this point, thank you so much. Uh, honestly, also want to thank everyone who has been commenting uh, on various forms of social media, reaching out uh, via email. Um, you know, I did say, speaking of intentions and, and what we're putting out there, it was something I wanted to do with these intro and outros to be something more than just me literally talking about the episode and something that happened during the episode that you're going to hear or just heard, but to make it a little bit more personal and, and make it to where it's a, a thing where maybe it gives all of us, myself included, uh, more permission to be honest and, and put ourselves out there and hopefully it comes back and inspires some other people. Um, that was really the, the big goal uh, with this is just kind of accountability. So all of that said, uh, if you would like to keep up with Death Revision, you can find them on Facebook at Death Revision, Instagram at Death Revision, and Twitter at Death Revision as well. Uh, if you'd like to keep up with Kill Switch Engage, you can find them on Facebook at Kill Switch Engage, Instagram at Kill Switch Engage, and Twitter at KSC Official. And if you'd like to keep up with Mike, uh, you can find him on Instagram at Dark Icon Design. Or if you'd like to keep up with his artwork, you can find him at uh, on Instagram at Dark Icon Design underscore art. Um, Really looking forward to seeing the photos of his art. Uh, I don't want to call it a gallery, but basically a display of his art at a uh, bloodstock. Um, I think it's something that he should do more of. I, I really do think the process of what he does and his art is he has a style and it's so fucking hard for people to, to get a style that's so identifiable right out the gate. When you see a Mike D piece, you know, it's him. Um, I would love to see more of how he goes about doing stuff. Uh, and just see his process, but uh, maybe that's something down the road that he will get into. Uh, if you'd like to keep up with his artwork as well, you can also go to his website at darkicondesign.com. And for the podcast, if you'd like to keep up with us, you can find us at Bruce Speak Pod on all your podcast socials. Uh, if you'd like to email me, please do such at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. Uh, keep the comments coming. Keep the conversation going on Facebook platform, whatever it is that you are listening to this show on or see on socials or whatever. Uh, I enjoy continuing to talk about the things that were discussed on any of the podcasts and try to make sure that I am replying to pretty much any of it because I mean, you took the time to listen and then feel so compelled to write. So I will, uh, try to do the same. 
Uh, all of that said, uh, that's pretty much it for this episode. I would like to thank our podcast sponsors once again. Uh, Rockabilia, use our code BREW10 at checkout and take 10% off your total purchase order. Uh, Starving Artist Brewery, uh, I am so stoked. I had a really great conversation with Andrew uh, the other day. I'm excited to go see him this weekend for real with my wife. We're going to make the trip up to uh, Ludington to go see them. Uh, so I'm going to actually judge the beer, not the people. <laughs> And uh, enjoy some uh, some beer and uh, some camaraderie with uh, someone who has been supportive of the show. So please go support those uh, sponsors if you are able to. And uh, for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I'll talk to you all next time. <laughs>